0: Okay, we're ready to get started. Good afternoon and welcome to the Cato Institute. My name is Tim Lynch. I'm the director of Cato's Project on Criminal Justice. Um, We are really honored to be hosting uh, the premiere screening of today's film, 10 Rules for Dealing with the Police. I have seen this film, and it is a goldmine of useful information uh, for people who are interested in learning more about their constitutional rights. One of our longstanding objectives here at Cato has to get more people involved with the Constitution. The Constitution was never intended to be a document just for judges and lawyers. Uh, A few years ago, we published this handy uh, pocket edition of the Constitution, and in the Past few years, we've distributed several million copies of these. Actually, uh, last year, this pocket constitution made the Washington Post a bestseller list for publications here in the metro area. Though, watching the actions of our uh, our Congress, it's it's actually hard to believe that it was actually made it the bestseller list in this area. But um, if there was to be an award for entrepreneurial talent. For defense of the Bill of Rights. I would give this award to the two guys who wrote the screenplay for Ten Rules and played the big part in bringing this film to production. Uh, They run an organization called Flexure Rights, and they are Steve Silverman and Scott Morgan. Why don't you guys stand up and face the audience? Steve Silverman is actually uh, one of the illustrious alumni of the Cato internship program many years ago. So many of our interns go on to do great things, and I think uh, Steve is destined for uh, the Cato Hall of Fame. Before the Ten Rules film, uh, Steve and Scott produced an earlier film, which you may have seen outside. It was called Busted, The Citizen's Guide uh, to Surviving Police Encounters, a very highly regarded film packed with accurate information about uh, the law of police encounters, and they distributed more than 25,000 copies of that video. And when YouTube came along, they uploaded the film on YouTube, and since then it's gotten several million hits. So that's what I mean about this entrepreneurial ideas of really spreading the ideas of, of constitutional rights and, uh, and constitutional principles. Now, in a moment, we're going to start the new film, 10 uh, Rules. But before that, I just want to take another minute or two to lay something of a foundation for the film and for the panel discussion that we're going to have afterward. If you look over uh, the Bill of Rights, you will find that many of the provisions in the first 10 amendments to the Constitution have to do with criminal law and criminal procedure. But you will notice that most of these uh, protections have to do with the trial. Talk about speedy trial, public trial, jury trial, your right to confront witnesses, your right to be notified of the charges against you, and so forth. Now, what the catch here is that once a person is already indicted and the trial is around the corner, you're, you're already going to have a lawyer who's going to be advising you on, uh, you know, what things you should do and things that you shouldn't do. Um, but there are two constitutional provisions in the Bill of Rights that take place before the indictment, before the trial. And that, the main one there is the Fourth Amendment, which deals with searches and detentions. The second one is the Fifth Amendment, which deals with self-incrimination. And under American law, these rights can either be asserted or they can be waived. And the, the thing that's important to realize is that when you're dealing with the police with a search and detention, when, when they're trying to interrogate you and the issues of self-incrimination come up, your attorney isn't on the scene. But the police are trained in techniques in order to get people to waive their constitutional rights. And that's what this 10 Rules film focuses in on. It brings these law enforcement techniques to your attention and shows a person how they can go about asserting their constitutional rights without violating the law. Now, after the film, we have two experts that are going to take any questions that you might have. Uh, before we dim the lights and, and start the film, I would ask those of you who came with cell phones, would you please now take, take a moment to double-check and make sure that they are turned off as a courtesy to your neighbors? Thank you. Um, okay, we're going to start the film now. It runs for about 40, 45 minutes, and then afterwards we're going to bring our experts up here on the stage to take any questions that you might have. Thank you, and enjoy the film.
1: I move like the city with the skyscraper stain. move like the city with the money rubber band. I move like the city where everything's fell. I move like the city with the skyscraper stand. I move like the city with the money rubber band. I move like the city where everything's fell. I, like like I move like the city with car lights. Like hey, my neighborhood is like a video set. Yeah. Cameras move slow when the street get wet. Hey. Shake them up, roll money down, it's the bet. Uh-huh. G's on the set, throw it up right to left. I move, move like, like the city, city, so the streets come with me. Back pocket whiskey, keep. Me all pissy, street thought got the feeling like a seesaw, up, down, back up, I need to see more, the lean's so mean, the gear all clean, uh, left arm up, steering the machine, eyes in the rear view, gotta keep a clear view, when that money talk, the block gonna hear you, ride with a rider. it'll be every ass a movie, the script got a so
2: Good evening, my friends. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Billy Murphy, and we're going to talk about how to deal with the police. I've been a judge, but I'm best known as a criminal defense lawyer. I know how the law works, and I know that for many people, the law sometimes doesn't work. But I'm going to show you how to make the law work for you. I see how the choices my clients make have a massive impact on the outcomes of their police encounters, even if... And especially if you've done nothing wrong. There are lots of good police out there doing what needs to be done. And I don't need to tell you that there are also a few too many cops who don't respect the basic rights of innocent people. But you don't get to choose who you're dealing with. And even the nicest cop will use your mistakes against you. That's precisely why every citizen, every one of you, must possess the tools to confidently assert your rights if you have to. By the show of hands, who's here because either you, a friend, or a family member has been on the business end of a bad police encounter? Then you're in the right place. Who's got a story they want to share with the class? What's your story?
3: I got hassled by Highway Patrol the other day. Tell us about that. When that money talks, the black won't hear you. Ride with a ride, it'll be thy I was ready to explode. This was like the fourth time this year I've been pulled over for nothing.
4: (sighs) License and registration?
3: Yeah, I know the drill, man. Excuse me? License? Registration.
4: No need for the attitude there, bro. I'm looking out for your safety and everyone else's on this road. (laughs) Whatever, man. Okay, step out of the vehicle for me. Turn around and put your hands in the air. Turn around and put your hands in the air. Gosh, man. Walk forward. Walk forward. Hands on the hood. Hands on the hood of the car. Do it. what are you doing, man? Relax. God damn it. I didn't do anything. Relax. <sighs> I didn't do anything. You got a bad attitude. Now, I pulled you over because you were swerving between lanes. That's all. Now, if you cooperate, you're going to make things a whole lot easier on yourself. Now, what that means is you got to be straight with me. You understand? Yeah. Here's the deal. You don't speak unless I ask a question. You understand? Yeah all right that hurts man that's too tight relax you're fine now where are you coming from college i'm coming from college man you've been having problems with gangs moving guns down this highway you're not packing any tech nines in there are you no no sir so you don't mind if i take a look Ah, uh, go ahead all right darren you just relax you don't move Stand up. Stand up. Walk back with me. Keep walking. Keep walking. All right, have a seat. Have a seat, Darren. Now cross your legs. Cross your legs!
3: And when that cop was done roughing me up, he made me sit there like a dog while he ripped up my car. I've got nothing to hide, but that's disrespectful. All right, and sit tight. I sat there forever while he hung out in his car.
4: All right, Darren, stand up. Stand up. Turn around. Ah. This is a citation for excessive lane change. You take care of this as soon as possible. Sign that. Sign it. Here's your copy, get your off sh- my road.
3: That cop profiled me. It's ridiculous. I go to school. I'm not a gun trafficker. I know exactly how you feel, man.
2: That's why we're here. It's certainly possible you were profiled, but it's practically impossible to prove that. You never know for sure what's going on in an officer's head. I hate to say it, but from what I hear, it sounds like you broke the first rule of dealing with the police. Always be calm and cool.
5: Hold up. Are you saying that he deserved
2: to get treated like that? No, what I'm saying is a police encounter is absolutely the worst time and place to vent your frustrations about police. Getting stopped by police is always frustrating and scary, but... You could have played it much smarter by being calm and cool. As soon as you opened your mouth, you failed the attitude test.
3: License and registration? (sighs) Yeah, I know the drill, man.
2: Your attitude only got worse.
3: (sighs) Whatever, man.
2: Don't ever talk back. Don't ever raise your voice. Don't ever use profanity with a police officer. Being hostile with police is stupid and dangerous. You can't win that game on the street where they're the king. Police have a dangerous job. Even the most professional officers might become aggressive if they feel threatened or if their authority is challenged. Always control your words, the tone of your voice and your body language. If you're visibly scared and angry, it's easy for an officer to get scared and angry too. Things could have turned out way worse than they did your stomach on your stomach can you think of a better way you could have greeted that officer
3: good evening officer how's it going
2: that's
1: better <laughs> calm and cool hold on, hold on hold on what's all this polite talk they don't respect us so why should we respect them
5: for real
2: this isn't
1: just about
2: respect it's about common sense if you don't check your ego at the door and you let it take control of you during a police encounter, you'll regret it every time. Following the rules doesn't guarantee that the police will respect your rights, but they can keep you from digging yourself into a deeper hole. Let's talk about what your rights are in the first place. This is the Bill of Rights. These are the first 10 amendments that were added to the US Constitution after it was ratified in 1789. These rights are protected under federal law, which means everything we're talking about today applies in all 50 states. There are three amendments in particular that protect your rights during police encounters. The Fourth Amendment states that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. The Fifth Amendment states that no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. During a police encounter, the smartest way to take the Fifth is just to keep your mouth shut because you always have the right to remain silent. We'll talk in a minute about how this works. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. So if the police interrogate or arrest you, asking for a lawyer is a good way to assert your right to remain silent. Lawyer up. That's right. Regardless of what you have seen on TV, police don't usually have to read you your rights, even if you're arrested. So it's up to you to make sure that you understand the law and make smart choices. If police flag you down, pull over immediately, turn off your car and place your hands on the wheel. The police like to see your hands for their own safety, so wait until they request your paperwork before reaching for it. At night, it's also a good idea to turn on the interior light so that the officer can see you're not armed. Darren, do you see any ways you could have handled yourself better?
4: Good evening, officer. How's it going? Did you know you were swerving between lanes?
3: No, officer.
4: Let me see your license and registration.
3: Sure. My license? Here's my registration.
4: Now, Darren, we've had some problems with gangs moving guns down this highway. You're not packing any Tech Nines, are you? No, sir. I didn't think so.
3: You don't mind if I take a look, do you? Officer, I know you're just doing your job. I don't have any guns or whatever, but I don't consent to searches.
2: Perfect. Rule number three, you have the right to refuse searches. This comes directly from the Fourth Amendment. For your Fourth Amendment protection to legally apply, you must be prepared to clearly state your refusal under pressure. Everyone repeat after me. I don't consent to searches.
6: I don't consent to searches.
2: The officers can't hear you, so say it again. I don't consent
3: to searches. One more time. I don't consent to searches. You a law student or something? So if I show that I know the rules, you might think I'm a law student. Or maybe I got big legal connections.
2: Perhaps. But don't get carried away by saying stuff like... I know my rights, (laughs) m****. Get out of my face. (laughs) I'm going to sue you. Never tell the officer you know your rights. Show the officer you know your rights by asserting them calmly.
4: You seem nervous. Is there anything in this car I need to know about? No, officer. All right. Please step out of the vehicle.
2: Police may legally order you out of your vehicle, so you should comply.
4: Walk back here with me. Stand right here for me. Now, you got two choices. You can make this better or worse for yourself. Now, if you cooperate, it's going to make things a lot easier on you.
2: Beware that the police may legally lie to you, so never let false threats or promises trick you into waiving your rights.
4: Now, if you don't, I'm going to call up a canine unit, and those dogs are going to rip apart your car. They're going to find what you're hiding. So what's it going to be? Refusing a search
2: request is not evidence of guilt and doesn't give the officer the legal right to search or detain you. Don't get tricked. Unless you're detained or arrested, you may terminate the encounter at any time, but don't wait for the officer to dismiss you. Simply ask if you're free to go.
4: and those dogs are going to rip apart your car, and they're going to find what you're hiding. Like I said, what's it going to be?
3: Officer, are you detaining me, or am I free to go?
4: Good. This
2: line can help withdraw you from an encounter. Saying you want to leave establishes that the encounter is not voluntary, which could help you later if you end up in court. Let's practice that line. Everyone repeat after me. Are you detaining me? or am I free to go? Are
5: you detaining me or am I free to
4: go? One more time. Are Are you detaining me or am I free to go? All right. You want to play it like that? You want to bump it up to the next level? Fine. You stay right here. Don't go anywhere.
2: Asserting your rights won't make the police love you, but it might make them extra cautious about violating your rights.
4: Darren, this is a citation
3: for excessive lane changing.
4: Take care of that as soon as possible.
3: Thank you, officer. I understand refusing a search doesn't make me guilty, but if I'm doing nothing wrong, why don't I just let the police search me and get it done with?
2: You have the right to let police search you. You also have the right to refuse. The choice is yours. But there are some reasons to think carefully about this. The officer isn't your butler. Searches can get real messy. If they damage anything, you might not be compensated because you agreed to the search. Besides, you never know for sure what a careless person, relative, friend, previous owner might have left in your car at some point. If the police find any illegal items after you consent to a search request, you can be arrested even if you had nothing to do with it.
4: You have the right Consenting
2: to a search request automatically makes the search legal in the eyes of the law. And the Fourth Amendment doesn't require officers to tell you about your right to refuse. So if you're pulled over, don't try to figure out whether or not the officer has probable cause to legally search you. You always have the right to refuse searches.
3: I don't consent to searches. But they're going to search us anyway.
2: Sometimes they will. But saying no isn't just about stopping the search. It might stop the search or it might not cross your leg point is that refusing the search could help you later if you end up in court if the police search you without consent your lawyer can challenge that as your attorney i'd be much more likely to win your case if you said no to the search
3: if i do not consent when are police allowed to search my car you mentioned probable cause (laughs) what does that mean
2: Probable cause means police must have clear facts or evidence to believe you're involved in criminal activity. In other words, an officer's hunch without evidence of illegal activity is not enough to search or arrest you. But it doesn't take much. Most avoidable police searches happen not because police have probable cause. They happen because people get tricked or intimidated into consenting.
3: So an expired registration isn't probable cause to search my car?
2: No, it's not. But you still gotta be careful. Courts are eager to uphold police searches, so something suspicious about you or your car could be considered probable cause. I'm not the kind of guy to tell you how you should express yourself. Expressing yourself is one thing, but exposing yourself to police by being a public nuisance is ignorant.
1: Everybody knows
2: who I wrong with. Rule number six:
1: don't expose yourself. Mr. Murphy, I appreciate you being here today talking about constitutional rights and all, but in my hood, police don't care about nobody's rights. They do whatever they want. Tell us more. The other day, I was leaving my building on my way to work.
5: Uh-huh. yeah. En 30 minutes, llego. A las 5 dentro, cheque el schedule.
1: caigo. I don't know where you got that. Okay, bye. You. Let me see your hands. Put them on the car. Spread them. Where's the dope, man? Come on, give it up. I ain't got nothing. Let me see your pockets. Pull them out. Your ID? Got an ID here. Run that, please. Let me see your hat. I seen you coming out of there.
0: Yeah, that's a known drug spot. It's my home. That's where I
1: live at. You go to school? Are you working?
0: I work at a restaurant. That's where I'm
1: going. Uh, He's clean. Get your stuff. Thank you for your cooperation. You stay out of trouble. This is not the first time. It probably ain't the last. That's how they do around here. I'm not
2: surprised. In cities across the country, these stop and frists are occurring at record rates, especially in low-income communities of color. They happen so frequently, they seem perfectly normal to you. Yeah, that's how they do. This might be common, but that doesn't make it right. In fact, it sounds like those cops searched you illegally. Let's see your hands.
1: Put
2: him on a car. If police have reasonable suspicion to believe you're involved in a crime, they're legally allowed to detain you for a short period of time. Reasonable suspicion requires less evidence than probable cause, but it basically means the officer has some specific reason to believe that you're up to something. For example police can legally stop someone who matches the description of a criminal suspect a suspect who drops a suspicious object after seeing the police or someone who runs away after seeing the police don't ever run from the police that's part of what the officers can use for probable cause and they'll run you down and make you regret it but if you see police approaching be calm and assert your rights if need be but don't run If they have reasonable suspicion to detain you, police may pat down the outside of your clothing to check for weapons, but only if they have a basis for suspecting that you're armed. If they feel a hard item that might be a weapon, the police may pull it out of your pocket to check it out. Police may ask you to show them what's in your pockets. Remember, you don't have to do it. Emptying your your pockets is the same as consenting to a search, and you always have the right to refuse. In your case, uh, there appeared to be no basis to justify their stop and frisk.
1: It happened so fast, it was over before I even knew it. What could I have done different? You don't have a lot of immediate options here. If
2: police detain and frisk you, you have the right to clearly state your refusal to consent to the search. Officer, I'm not resistant, but I do not consent to searches. But you should only verbally refuse, never physically resist, never. Just touching a cop could get you tasered or beaten. You could also get charged with felony assault. Face forward. Sometimes people get in trouble for merely standing near others holding contraband or if it is found nearby Look what we have here. Police may try to get you to snitch on yourself or on others, but remember that police may legally lie to you, so don't get tricked into waiving your rights. Mm.
4: Uh We know you bought this weed. That makes you part of a drug conspiracy. Now, you give up your supplier, or else we're going to charge you as an accessory to drug trafficking.
1: I'm going to remain silent. I'd like to see a lawyer. I'm
2: going to remain silent. I'd like to see a lawyer. If you're being interrogated or you're under arrest, these magic words are your best legal protection. They're kind of like a legal condom. Say them with me.
6: I'm going to remain silent. I'd like to see a lawyer.
1: I seen you drop this, man. Just admit it's yours. It's a slap on the wrist. You make things difficult for me, and I'll charge you with possession and evidence tampering. That's a felony. Don't get tricked. You know what to
2: say. If police pressure you to snitch, you need a lawyer. Use the magic words. Officer, I'm going to remain silent. I'd like to see a lawyer. But remember, just because you ask for a lawyer doesn't mean they have to stop questioning you. If you keep talking, your words might still be used against you, so shut your mouth until you've seen a lawyer.
5: But when do you
7: actually get a lawyer?
2: That depends. That depends. If you keep your mouth shut, you might not even need one. But if you're arrested and charged with a crime, you need help. If you can't afford a lawyer, one will be appointed for you by the court. The point is that you can't talk your way out of a police interrogation without a lawyer. That's a big mistake. Almost anything you say to the police can and will be used against you in court.
7: But what if the police try to make you sign a confession or something?
2: Don't sign anything without a lawyer. And don't rely on the police to explain what it says. Read it for yourself. Usually, the only document that's safe to sign is a promise to appear
1: in court. What if police come up to me just asking for ID? Hey, hold up, man. Let me see your ID.
2: Carrying an ID is required when you're driving, but there's otherwise no law requiring you to carry an ID. But in some states, police can require you to give your name if they have reasonable suspicion to believe you're involved in criminal activity.
7: How do you know if police have reasonable suspicion?
2: Remember, police need reasonable suspicion to detain you, so one way to tell if they have reasonable suspicion is to ask if you're free to go.
3: Hey, hold up, man. Let me show your ID. Excuse me, officer. Are you...
1: Detaining me or am I free to go? I just want to talk to you, man. What's your name? Are you detaining me or am I free to go? I'm not detaining you, man, but... I promise I'm clean. For I sure must, man. got time to chat. Gotta go. <laughs> what if they don't let me go?
2: Then you're being detained because the officer thinks there's some reason to suspect you of a crime.
4: Let's use some ID. Excuse me, officer. Are you
1: detaining me or am I free to go? Turn around. Put your hands up on the wall.
2: In that situation, you could be arrested if you refuse to reveal your identity. Technically, police can't make you identify yourself anytime they want. But on the street, withholding your identity frequently leads to a detention or even an arrest. If your goal is to just get the encounter over with, then identifying yourself might be your best option. But if you're prepared to fight things out in court... You can flex your rights by refusing to cooperate with random ID
1: requests. You say those police broke the rules searching me like that? What am I supposed to do? Call the cops on them? (laughs) Listen,
2: fighting back against police misconduct is never easy, but it gets easier if you know your rights and if you act appropriately. What do I do? File a complaint? Does
1: anyone read those?
2: Oh, yeah, they read them for sure. There are lots of bad cops off the streets because they get too many complaints cases of severe police misconduct can result in major lawsuits that change the way the police behave i know that because i filed my share of them successfully here's what you need to know about reporting police misconduct during the encounter pay close attention to details remember the order of events remember as much as you can about the officers what did they look like what were their names what were their badge numbers although you should never ask them for their badge number that means to them you're about to make a complaint and boy does it get bad for you if they know that so never tell them you're going to make a complaint against them remember the exact words that the officer says where's the door? I ain't got nothing come on man give it up as soon as you can, get everybody together who saw or heard anything about the incident. Sit down with them together. Listen to their recollections. Use whatever device you can to collect your thoughts. The longer you wait,
1: the less you will remember. There's a black cop and a white cop. Put them on
2: a car. And try to find other witnesses if you can. You'll need this evidence later.
1: Reaching in the bag, man. If you
2: were injured during a police incident, make sure somebody photographs you at your worst as soon as possible. Make copies of any relevant hospital records. If you're thinking about responding to a police misconduct incident, visit flexyourrights.org to learn more about your options. Don't be discouraged just because you've heard about police abusing their power and getting away with it. Now that you know your rights, you've got more power to demand accountability.
5: Yes, ma'am? Mr. Murphy, is it legal for for the police to go around knocking on people's doors, asking for, uh, asking to search? Unfortunately, yes. Did something happen? It was last Saturday afternoon. I was in my home relaxing after a long week. Have you been in an accident? Injured in a job? You need a lawyer with experience.
8: <laughs>
1: and a commitment to you, the citizen of this great nation. Call me, Boris Krakowitsk.
5: Who is it? Police department.
7: Good afternoon, ma'am. I'm Officer Smith. What's your name? I'm Karen Stewart. Everything alright? How can I help you?
8: Miss Stewart, do you mind if we come in for a moment?
5: One second.
7: Me and Officer Jones here are introducing ourselves to the tenants as part of a new home safety program. We're available if you need any help. Ms. Stewart, are you here alone? Oh, uh, yes. My granddaughter lives here, too, but she's at school. I'm sure you know there's been some gang-related shootings in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Well, we're trying to do something to get the guns off the streets, and we're asking folks to help out. Of course. How can I help? Well, if you don't mind, we'll take a quick look around to make sure there's no guns in your home you might not know about. <laughs> there are no guns in here. Go ahead. Great. Just sign this form for me, please.. I appreciate your cooperation. I see you have an extensive book collection. You like to read a lot?
5: Oh, I love to read. Mm-hmm. I'm always reading something. <laughs>
7: oh, okay. I like to read, too, but between my job and my two children, I just don't have the time anymore. Mm-hmm. I understand that. So you say your granddaughter is in school? College? Yeah, yes, uh-huh. She's a freshman. Oh, wonderful. What? Oh, that's very proud of
5: you.
2: Search this couch here, you
5: mind stepping up for me.
6: Uh oh. What's this? Can I tell me about this marijuana I just found your couch?
5: What's that? Don't
2: play dumb. You know what it is.
5: It isn't mine. I, I cook for some of the children in, in the neighborhood. Somebody probably left it there by mistake.
2: I, I, I don't know. You really ought to pay more attention to what happens in your home.
7: Miss Stewart, I appreciate your cooperation. I hate to do this. Please put your hands behind your back. You're under arrest
5: arrest? What are you arresting me for?
7: I, 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 I don't know. I, I, it isn't mine. Mr. Uh, I'm th- taking you to the station. You can tell your story to the judge.
5: Turn to your right. You don't have to do this. No, stop. Stop. The worst part is I live in public housing and there's a zero tolerance rule. I'm fighting the eviction order now. Did you all hear that, folks?
2: Remember that the next time somebody tells you nobody ever gets in trouble for weed. I shouldn't have let them inside. See, this is how they get you. Police come knocking at your door saying, hey there, we've got a new safety program. Can we search your home? Hell no. You don't have to let them in. Even if the police have probable cause, the Fourth Amendment requires them to get a signed search warrant from a judge to enter and search your home. Unless there's a serious emergency, they can't come in without a search warrant. But they don't need a warrant if you invite them in. When the officers came knocking, Karen could have talked to them outside and... Close the door behind her.
5: Good afternoon, officers. How can I help you? The chain lock works fine, too. Who is
7: it? Police department.
5: Good afternoon, officers. How can I help you?
7: Hi ma'am, do you mind if we come in for a moment? Do you have a warrant? What is this about? No, my name is Officer Smith, this is Officer Jones.
2: We're introducing ourselves to the tenants as part of a new home safety program. Mind if we come in? Uh,
5: No thank you, I can't let you in without a warrant. Again? I can't let you in without a warrant.
2: That is your decision ma'am, but this is just a public safety check. We're not here to get anyone in trouble.
5: I understand, but I need to see a warrant before letting you folks
7: inside. Have my card if you need anything. Have a nice day. Take care.
6: We're clear.
2: If police come to your door and you don't need their help, you may simply decline to answer the door. Because you don't have to let them in unless they have a search warrant. We've covered a lot today, but we've only scratched the surface. If you want to learn about the 10 rules for dealing with police, contact us at the website, flexyourrights.org.
1: Any more questions? At. Yeah. Cameras move slow when the street get wet. Shake them up, roll money down, it's a bet. Uh-huh. G's on the set, throw it up, right to left. I move, move like, like the city, city so the streets come with me. Back pocket whiskey, keep me all pissy. Street thoughts got the feeling like a seesaw. Up, down, back up, I need to see more.
0: Okay, before we start the panel discussion, I I should mention that I invited the local police chief, uh, Kathy Lanier, to uh, come down here or to send a representative to participate in the panel discussion and discuss anything they wanted to say about the film, but uh, they declined our invitation. Our first speaker, though, is a 32-year law enforcement veteran uh, from the Maryland State Police. Uh, During his time on the force, he held the position of commander for the Education and Training Division and the Bureau of Drug and Criminal uh, Enforcement. But as his uh, career progressed and as the years passed, he began to question the war on drugs, and he is now working to end the war. Uh, He's recently been appointed uh, executive director of an organization called LEAP, That stands for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, which is a terrific group of active and retired law enforcement officials who speak out against the drug war. And there was a nice profile of the organization in the Wall Street Journal just a few weeks ago talking about how, like when a medical marijuana initiative is being discussed in a state legislature, uh, they come in to explain to the lawmakers that, you know, the sky isn't going to fall if we reform our drug laws. So would you please welcome our first speaker, Mr. Neil Franklin.
8: Got to love that film. (laughs) It's going to do a lot of good. Great job, guys. Thank you. Go ahead. (laughs) Let me start off with saying that uh, I don't consider myself an intellect like many of you here. I'm straight from the streets. I'm a cop straight from the streets and the trenches spent most of my career in either narcotics or criminal enforcement. The Maryland State Police then went to Baltimore City and finished up at the MTA, Maryland Transit Administration. During that time, I had the pleasure of commanding the two largest police academies in the state of Maryland, Maryland State Police and Baltimore City. And one of the things that I always talk to our instructors about, at both, was to ensure that we follow our oath and that we teach that. And in the law enforcement oath, we hold up our right hands and we, we swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States and of the state where we have jurisdiction. This film is going, and most people are probably thinking, what what a great piece for our kids and and grown-ups to teach you about your rights. But I see it as a great tool for police academies. Because... We in law enforcement, yes, we do have a tough and dangerous job, but we can do that job, we can do it effectively, effectively by respecting your rights, respecting your rights as afforded to you by the Constitution of this great country. I don't think I'll ever have that opportunity again because I think I'm pretty much done with law enforcement from the uniform side. But if I did, and when I get the opportunity, I will make sure that those who are still in law enforcement know that this film is available for them to use in their academies. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity of along with another partner of mine, she's a retired captain from the Maryland State Police, uh, Lee Maddox, she's also a speaker for LEAP. We went over, um, and I'm from Baltimore, grew up in Baltimore. And in Baltimore, (laughs) we have a very aggressive uh, criminal justice system in Baltimore. And there's a high school called the Eager Street High School, which is for teenagers who are incarcerated awaiting their trial. And we had the pleasure of doing a two-hour workshop (coughs) with those kids. And well, first of all, we didn't tell them we were cops. Not initially, but eventually we did. But we asked the question about what would their neighborhood look like if drugs were legal and we're not here to talk about that. If you want to hear about that you will have to come see me in another venue. But I asked that question and their answers, their answers in the top three, one was we would no longer be harassed by the police. We would no longer be harassed by the police. And the one stop that you saw here of the young Hispanic guy coming out of his home is indicative of what happens on a daily basis, a daily basis. It's happening right now, not just in Baltimore, but all across this country, all across this country. Our young people must be taught how to... ...rights, but as Billy was teaching in the film, how to act appropriately so that it keeps them safe when they're encountered by the police. And to let the police know respectfully that you know what your rights are. And you're not going to give up those rights. I think I'll end right there. So take the opportunity, visit the website. Get a copy of the film and show it to everybody you know. It's important. Thank you.
0: Okay, our second speaker is obviously the the star of the uh, (laughs) Ten Rules film, uh, Judge Billy Murphy. For those of you who don't know, uh, Judge Murphy is one of the most sought after attorneys uh, in the state of Maryland. He's been consistently rated by his peers in the legal profession and by uh, legal publications as one of the top ten lawyers in the state. I can't list all of his uh, achievements and accomplishments and awards. Uh, suffice it to say, he excels in just about everything that he does. Um, I think Baltimore Magazine said it best when uh, they said that Judge Murphy is scary smart. Uh, he earned his electrical engineering degree from MIT. He then turned to the law where he earned his law degree from the University of Maryland. He's tried and won hundreds of cases, uh, mostly in the Baltimore area, but around the country as well. In 1980, he successfully ran for a judge of the circuit court in Baltimore City. That's where he gets that title. He was a judge for many years, and then he uh, resigned from the bench and went back to his successful law practice. For those of you who watch HBO, you may recognize him, he got to play himself in my favorite show, which is the HBO series The Wire, where he represented the notoriously corrupt um, Clay Davis. I think he's the perfect man for 10 rules uh, because he really makes the Bill of Rights come alive. He brings it off of the pages of you know paper and shows how the Bill of Rights can make a difference in the lives of real people. So would you please welcome Judge Billy Murphy?
2: I'm just a local boy trying to make good. (laughs) Let me uh, introduce a few folks before we go further, because without them, there would be no film. First, I want you to meet, again, Steve Silverman and Scott Morgan. Stand up. These are truly two of my favorite people because the energy and commitment and integrity that they bring to this aspect of the struggle that we all share um, is amazing. So give them one more round. (laughs) Next, I want to introduce the actors, many of whom are here today, uh, again, without whom this project would not have worked. Stand up, everybody. Everybody who was in this film, get your propers. (laughs) And next I want to introduce somebody who is a very, very important part of an extraordinary organization called the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. Uh, I served on the board for about the last six out of seven years, and uh, uh, I got to know this guy very, very well, and he is our director of public information, Jack King. And last but not least, uh, you may notice a family resemblance here. I want to introduce you to the national spokesperson for the American Civil Liberties Union. She directs the Washington office. This is her second term. Uh, she retired for a minute to, to take stock after using every ounce of her energy in the struggle for rights in this country. And uh, she uh, couldn't take being away from the struggle. And so she got back in first as a, a lobbyist. And then she uh, was invited to, once again, For the second time, be the director of the Washington office of the ACLU and the national spokesperson for that great organization, my sister, Laura Murphy. And before I say another word, I gotta thank my mother and father. And I gotta thank God for landing me in that tremendous family because. uh, It wasn't something that I earned unless you believe in other lives. And I feel profoundly grateful to have been raised by them in this long tradition of fighting for our rights. It was like mother's milk to me. And we regard Laura as the ultimate expression of what our family is all about. Give her one more time. I'm going to tell you a little story about what this struggle is all about. I recently visited a person named uh, Robert Stanford. He is known in the press as the second Madoff down in Houston, Texas. To tell you how this society has evolved, without a trial, he was stripped of $8 billion of wealth without so much as a finding of guilty. Every piece of property he had worked for 25 years was taken from him. You remember who he is. He's the fellow who's been accused in the press of running a Ponzi scheme out of uh, Antigua. Um, And that's the allegation. But in this great country of ours, How can you take every penny someone has earned over a 25-year period? He was stripped of 14 banks, all of which were solvent. He was stripped of all of his possessions on earth, houses, cars, boats, bank accounts, stock in his own company. A receiver was appointed, and the receiver sold his assets off at 10 cents, 20 cents on the dollar. At the same time, if his bank was in the United States of America, he would have been bailed out. He'd have been given extra capital if he needed it, and it turned out he really didn't need it. One of the most shocking stories in my 40-year career that I've ever heard. So he's rich one day. He gets accused the next. He gets stripped of all his wealth before he even has a trial. And now he has to have court-appointed lawyers or lawyers who work without any promise of ever getting paid against a government which has amassed at least 300 agents from various government agencies, IRS, Treasury, SEC, Assistant United States Attorneys, DEA, you name it. He was left with $300 and the clothes on his back. That's where America has gone. And we do it in the name of the law. I'll tell you one other story. You know this officer. He served with you in the Maryland State Police, Officer Buckman. I ran across Officer Buckman because I had a client who was hiding, allegedly, 60 pounds of cocaine in the trunk of a car in which he was a passenger. Buckman had no information about this seizure. He had no information about the driver, the passenger. The car was going 60 miles an hour, which is five miles above the legal limit. Buckman pulled him over. He did not even give the niceties, if you want to call them that, that the police in this film gave them. He called them both niggers, get out of the car, pulled the gun on them immediately put him on the ground, searched the car, found the cocaine. I am proud to say that I won that case, but I'm not proud of what was discovered. Officer Buckman's M.O., according to the popular press, was that he was a man who had the nose for drugs, and so he would use traffic stops as a pretext for doing what he did. Unfortunately, the law has gone south and pretextual stops are now the law of the land. And so an officer can rightfully use a traffic violation for stopping you with an ulterior motive to search your car, hold you up for an hour and a half. You may be going to a wedding or funeral. It matters not. You may be trying to get home after a long drive. It matters not. They're going to call the dogs. They're going to While they're stopping you for this traffic violation, calling in your background, the dogs will come, they'll circle the car, they'll smell everything. In the meantime, the officer will take his flashlight. If it's dark, he'll look inside your car. He'll give you the business. And in the case of these two men, no constitutional rights were respected, no rights at all. What we had to do was subpoena all his traffic stops. We got volunteers from Morgan State University to do a statistical analysis of those stops. Overwhelmingly black. We sent a questionnaire out to the people who were victimized by all these stops to find out more. Oh, the answers we got to these 20 questions just would curl your hair. Or in the case of African Americans, straighten your hair. We heard all kinds of stories. People from as far away as Texas and Nebraska had been caught in this net. We complained about it after, of course, the prosecutors declined to be embarrassed by what we had found. So the prosecutor in Cecil County, which is the border in Maryland between Delaware and Maryland, dropped the charges because they wanted to protect Officer Buckman. The prosecutors in Prince George's County, where my client lived, dropped the case because they wanted to protect Officer Buckman. But Officer Buckman had a rude awakening in store for him because two black cops from Prince George's County drove a Mercedes up and down 95, waiting for Officer Buckman to do his thing. <laughs> they had $40,000 in Mark money, and of course, Officer Buckman took $20,000 Of the money. He reported only 20, and on his way out after the false report, he was greeted with handcuffs. His house was searched. Inside the house, they found a fully automatic machine gun. Officer Buckman went away to jail for eight years without parole. There are lots of Officer Buckmans who give a bad name to the many more good cops who work very hard every day all over America, to protect us. But in the inner cities, and in the mostly black or Latino parts of the country, these cops have been corrupted by big city mayors who are after statistics, by county executives who are after statistics to show the ever ravenous public which is afraid by the mounting violence arising out of drug gangs and drug wars and the war on drugs, that if they don't show an adequate statistical performance about which to brag, they're going to be run out by somebody who is going to pimp crime in order to be elected. And so both parties have become amazingly conservative, if you want to use that term. I don't think it's real conservatism. Because real conservatives, like Cato, believe in conserving the rights that are a part of the Bill of Rights and conserving the rights that we speak so finely about, but respect only by lip service, which exists in the Constitution of the United States. So all over the country, this is what's going on. Governors, our present governor in Maryland, And I said this during his last campaign, when he was mayor of Baltimore, authorized the arrest of, on the average, 27,000 mostly black people every year in so-called street-sweeping operations where police would just approach citizens who weren't doing anything ordering them off the corner, and if they even looked like they weren't going to move fast enough, arresting them, incarcerating them for an average of about 48 to 72 hours for nothing. And the orders were, don't bother with the paperwork, just let them sit there, and then we will release them. This isn't the country I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for a country where that isn't going on. Look at New York, under Bloomberg, who I think is an excellent mayor overall. Traffic stops, street stops, street sweeps, rousting people on the street who are doing absolutely nothing, have risen once again uh, to the Giuliani highs uh, that we once knew and loved so much. All over the country, these street sweeping operations, these clearing the corner operations, these... Taking people out of public park operations, uh, these stops without probable cause, even without traffic violation operations, are increasing massively in the name of stopping crime. And guess what? To a certain extent, they work because, you know, totalitarian tactics are much more efficient than the rather rowdy and uh, controversial tactics uh, that have to be utilized in a society which respects rights. We don't have the most efficient system. It was designed not to be efficient because it was designed to protect us first and foremost from government. I have a lot in common with Cato. I don't trust the government. How can any black American, given the long history of this country legalizing slavery, then legalizing apartheid, for hundreds of years, trust any government? If it can happen here, in the midst of lofty words and principles that are espoused for white men, if it can oppress women, If it can happen here, if it can oppress uh, uh, political dissidents, if it can oppress now Muslims, if it can oppress uh, anyone it chooses to target, this is not the special country that it ought to be. We have a lot of work to do. I love America. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to become an expat in protest. I'm going to stay here and flex my rights Last but not least, because the questions are more important than anything that I say. We've got to stop this. The costs of what we are doing in the name of the war on drugs are incalculable. While I hear these so-called conservatives, because they're not, they're shills for corporate America, The real conservatives sit here while I hear them talking about and the people they're pimping talking about, where are the parents? Why aren't they involved? These parents ought to be punished. Well, the parents are in jail. (laughs) Parents are victims of the war on drugs. The families have been destroyed by the war on drugs. I'll just give you a little tantalizing few hints. In America, 75% of the population is white. 75% of the illegal drugs consumed in America are by white folks. They have more money they can buy in quantities which don't involve street traffic because instead of buying by the dose, like the blacks and Latinos who are impoverished by the drug use and impoverished by the lack of family and impoverished by not having a man in the house because he's in jail, have to do, go in the street, you know, buy one dose at a time, They buy their drugs like they buy their liquor. They don't buy shorties, they don't buy shots, they buy fists, or they buy cases. They put their drugs, their liquor, their marijuana, their cocaine, their hallucinogenics in the cupboard. They get it delivered to them in a discreet way at a discreet time and place. Takes real cops with real investigative tools to stop that. They don't get arrested and so when i hear people say legalization of drugs won't work i said what are you talking about it's working now in the united states of america it's called the white community anybody can get any amount of drugs they want in the white community and all they need is discretion in the black community we get arrested in the white community Drug therapy and treatment is provided as the first course of action because arrests are rare. You want to know how rare they are? Just go to Baltimore City Circuit Court or Baltimore City Federal Court. You don't see justice. As Richard Pryor said, you see just us. Ninety-eight percent of all of the people prosecuted for drugs in urban America and in places where blacks and Latinos live in numbers are blacks and Latinos. 98%. 98% of the arrests for drugs in America, in urban areas, blacks and Latinos. 98% of the stops. And these are not exaggerated numbers, and they can be verified in Washington, D.C., for example, just by making a quick trip over to the Superior Court or to the federal court, where you'll wait a long time before you see a white man or a white woman being prosecuted for drugs. We've got to stop this nonsense. If drugs are already legal in the white community, if the alcohol model of therapeutic intervention is already working in the white community, if it's the approach of choice in the white community, let's make it official. Let's make it legal. Let's stop all of this senseless and increasing incarceration of blacks and browns at the expense of their families and children, at the expense of their productive years as American citizens who can help us compete in world markets, at the expense of the educational system which crumbles because they're no longer around coming from healthy families with a mother and father. Let's make it official. Let's legalize drugs across the board. Let's isolate drugs as a medical problem which will be solved by education. Let's free up all these law enforcement dollars. I listen to my Republican friends talking about not wanting to spend $5,000 for Head Start per child. 5,000 per negro. This is what we say. And they're willing to spend 50000 a year, upwards close to 60000 a year per Negro and per Latino on the back end after they've been made to suffer in a society which no longer really cares about them or their families. And so we gladly listen to that judge hit that gavel saying life imprisonment without realizing that it's about a million and a half dollars that just changed hands from the citizen to the criminal justice system. When are we going to wake up? It's racist to the core. It's a continuation of what we've always been doing to black people and now to browns. It's killing you because you're paying for it. It's killing you because you can no longer enjoy city life. It's killing you because you have been made to pay private school tuitions and flee public education, of which I'm a proud product. Because the whole system, the core of our cities and counties, is just falling into decay and neglect. And what's the approach from government? Fear. Oh, the government is a fear monger. Anger. Oh, the government is glad to absorb your anger and use it as a campaign platform. Distrust. Because... In these communities where rights should be respected, nobody trusts the police, and you can see from the film why. They have a legal right to lie to you, and they don't even care anymore. They just need to get those statistics that are being pressured out of them by their commissioner who in turn is being pressured by that mayor or that governor. So I ask you, please, reconsider whether or not we should legalize drugs. Start debating it. Those of you who are not yet convinced, make it your business to learn both sides of the argument. Make it your business to look at one of the worst things happening into America, one of the worst artifacts of slavery and apartheid, segregation we used to call it, that still exists. One of the greatest robbers of productivity, one of the biggest drains on your pocketbook, one of the biggest reasons for the Constitution being distorted to the point where it is barely recognizable. It's all about niggers. We got the sentencing guidelines because of niggers. We're getting mandatory minimum sentences increased because of niggers. And now we're looking at the entire population being niggerized because once those sentences go up they rarely go down and so when that investment account started to be rated on massive basis and investors all over the country got angry beyond recognition those sentences which had previously been reserved for niggers now the new generation of people white executives the new niggers are being sentenced for theft, for crimes against property, to life imprisonment, 30 years without parole, 40 years without parole. And we've desensitized ourselves in the name of the law. I could go on, but I won't. I promise. But that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you very much.
0: Okay, we're going to take your questions now. Uh, Before I call on the first person, I do have three requests. First of all, please wait until our microphone gets to you so that everybody can hear your question. Please identify yourself and any affiliation that you might have, and please keep your questions brief because we've got a full house today. We want to get to as many people as possible before we run out of time. Yes, sir.
6: My name is Bert Ely. I'm a banking consultant and also a Cato adjunct scholar and sponsor. Uh, my question is uh, is for Judge Murphy, and it has to relate to judges. What changes, uh, good or bad, have you seen uh, over your career in terms of how judges are uh, responding, particularly in, the, uh, in initial court appearances, to um, uh, arrestees coming in and complaining about uh, police uh, uh, mistreatment in the terms in which they were arrested. Are they uh, are the are the judges more sensitive to rights now, or have they become desensitized?
2: For the last thirty years or so, judges have been basically totally desensitized about rights across the board, and the leaders are the judges in the federal system. Because first came um, Senate Bill S. One. When was that? passed lawyer was at 1972 under richard nixon and that followed uh preventive detention uh, as an experiment in dc starting in 1970 and that became federal law under the Bail reform act in the 80s and then came the sentencing guidelines where the judges were basically stripped of their discretion to determine sentences on an individualized basis couldn't take into account uh, poverty or situations uh, of lack of family or anything like that. That's illegal now. Uh, Then came uh, the war against crack cocaine, and that escalated the mandatory minimum such that uh, with five grams of crack, uh, uh, you can get a mandatory minimum sentence of five years. Still hadn't been repealed, that mandatory minimum. For 50 grams of crack, 10 years mandatory minimum. And so in that climate where the federal government forced literally on the constitutional courts, these handcuffs, you have found two things that happened. Number one, absolute reluctance to deviate from those handcuffs. Even though there were a few federal judges who couldn't take it on a moral level and resign initially, first response to the Supreme Court when it was just about black people was, all the sentencing guidelines are perfectly constitutional. But then when whites got involved... And so that was desensitivity. So when whites got involved, whites of great achievement, accomplishment, education, history in this law enforcement net, uh, starting with a cop out in the the West Coast, the one who was accused of beating Rodney King, uh, the Supreme Court said, oh, yes, you can go below the guidelines. That was step one. And then step two well, we've reconsidered, and these guidelines, they are unconstitutional. My, my, not a nation of laws. This is a reaction to the racism that exists here. So the answer is, in today's climate, don't expect sensitivity in the federal system to individual rights or in the state system to individual rights. Those who pay attention to rights and liberties are falsely known as liberals. And for the last 20-some years out of the last, 20-some years, only people who don't respect rights have been appointed to the federal bench and to many state courts around the country. You have to be a so-called conservative, hard-on crime, not willing to suppress evidence. I mean, we've got judges in Maryland, Benson Legg, great guy. He hasn't suppressed evidence in his 20-year judicial career. Not once has he found an illegal search and seizure. Not once has he found a, uh, an involuntary confession. And I say his name because I know what I'm talking about, and I would invite him to come and tell you how this great coincidence occurred.
5: <laughs>
2: so, so that's the state of the judiciary. It's appalling. And last but not least... You know, judges are human beings just like us. They get in the habit of seeing the same old person in the same old place, and they give the same old result after a while. When they start out, they see individuals. It's new and different. But when they see case after case after case, they get used to it. That's one of the sins of being a judge. You get used to it. And so instead of seeing... James Johnson, who comes from 1300 Cherry Hill Road, they see another black guy or another poor guy or another Latino guy in the same situation that they saw just five minutes earlier or ten minutes earlier, and they give in the name of mindless uh, uh, consistency the same old result. I've heard that story before. Oh, yeah, the police lied. You can see the... The the eyelids just start to fall. The toothpicks prop them back up as they hear the same dismal stories and they give the same dismal response.
0: Yes, sir.
6: Pereira, formerly from Amnesty International. I have just two questions. One is, could the police use the pretext that the tags are outdated and search your car, that's number one. The second one is, what chance or what prospects I have of telling the police if I'm stopped, let me get a tape recorder and let's check your questions and
8: answers, or let me write down your questions and I'll write down my answers as well. What chance do I have for that? You want to deal with that? I'll take the first one with the uh, outdated tags. It's definitely a reason to stop you. And from that point on, that police officer... Uh, Many times we'll try to figure out, how can I get into this car? How can I search this car? And just like the film depicted, they can lie to you. And it's up to you to exercise your rights and make it known to that police officer that you know your rights and you don't what? Again? (laughs) Absolutely. That you don't consent to searches, respectfully. So absolutely, it's it's the it's reason to be stopped, expired tags, tail light out. The, the, the reasons are numerous, are numerous, and unfortunately, not all of them are quite valid. But uh, unfortunately, a few cops make it bad for the rest of us. Billy, you want to take it? You mentioned about recording,
2: uh, putting a recorder in your car, and so there wouldn't be a credibility contest in court about what was said or done, which you would most assuredly lose. Maryland has a two-party consent rule, so you can't record without another person's knowledge or consent. So I've often thought of just putting a little sign where any cop could, could see it. Talk at your own risk. This conversation is being recorded. And putting a little recording device with a button where as soon as I get stopped, I hit the button, I point to the sign, and then I see what happens next. I guarantee you if you do that. And the sign is important because they have to know. They have to know. Well, you can't use a hidden recording device because then you're violating a criminal statute. So you gotta, you got to put notice there. I think life would be totally different on the streets. Absolutely. But then the next thing that would happen, especially if you're black or if you're Latino or if you're a woman, is that they're going to search that car, find that recording device, destroy it and then come up with their own story about why that was justifiable. But I think one day when I'm a little older, when I have less to lose than I have now, I'm going to put that little sign up there. I'm going to have that card tricked out so that, you know, on a second's notice, I can hit that button and we'll have some fun.
0: Okay, all the way in the back, I think that's Don Centerelli up there. Point
6: of
0: Just a minute. Wait for the mic.
6: As the author of the so-called Preventive Detention Statute back in 1970, it was a direct result of the Bail Reform Act sponsored by Senator Sam Irvin, and it was designed exclusively to avoid the opportunity for a court to detain a person solely on the basis of money bond, which was the great way in which the courts chose to detain people by setting high bond The statute required seven affirmative steps for presuming release that a judge had to find as a fact in a pretrial hearing before detention could be permitted. So The purpose of it was liberal reform or protection of rights reform. It was specifically designed to avoid the common practice of money bond to detain and no reasons.
2: I congratulate you for that reform, but I'm sure you've been watching how well it has not worked. Now, there were good intentions on both sides, because I think Senator Kennedy joined you in that, and I believe on the conservative side was Orrin Hatch. And you both had problems that overlapped. One was the disparity of sentencing and the disparity in bail. Uh, Blacks and browns were getting these high cash bails. Whites were being released essentially on much lower terms and conditions, very often without the need to post bail. And so the good intended part, the well-intended part of the Bail Reform Act was to eliminate that kind of mistreatment by objectifying the factors that would go in to the equation and making the judge have to step through it. On the other side, there were people who were outraged that presumptive criminals, because, you know, when people get arrested under, under the lights, camera, and the action, they're presumed guilty, they were outraged that people were being released on bail, and they were even more outraged that they were being arrested for subsequent criminal conduct while on bail. So the so-called conservatives wanted to stop that practice. Now, what you didn't mention was that if you're charged with a drug offense, you're presumed guilty at the bail hearing you're presumed dangerous at the bail hearing, and you're presumed to be a risk of flight. That turns the Constitution 180 because bail is based on the presumption of innocence. But it became law that in drug offenses, correct me if I'm wrong, I've only been in umpty-ump hundreds of bail hearings, the law now presumes guilt in that huge class of cases which now dominates the federal court system. Second thing, if it's a crime of violence, presume guilty, you know, presume you know, to be...
6: Presume to create
2: community risk, not guilty. Oh, only in drug crimes. No, I think that's incorrect because... If only in drug crimes, you're right. But on this complaint or violence, the court has to make a finding under the statute Now, whether the practices are different or not. Another story. All right, now, it puts the burden on the defendant which we criminal defense lawyers have been appalled by since it started, puts the burden on the defendant of proving in a drug case he's not guilty, he's not dangerous, he's not a risk of flight. Now, how the hell do you prove that you're not guilty, you're not dangerous, and not a risk of flight at a bail hearing? And only a foolhardy defense lawyer would put on your defense so that the prosecution would know it like General Custer uh, General Custer's defense or offense was known to the Indians before that battle was fought. And so you are defenseless. You're essentially at the mercy of a federal judge. It has not worked. I'm sure you would agree. It has not worked. It has been, you heard what he said, this is the author of the legislation, a well-intended honorable man who has said that the statute has been perverted by practice. goes to your question. What is the climate for respecting rights? Almost non existent in the federal system and on life support everywhere else.
0: Okay, I am afraid we have run out of time, but everybody here is invited to the luncheon upstairs in the winter garden, and we can continue the discussion up there. Please thank both of our panelists.